Hey there, welcome to the Content Career Show, where content marketers share their career paths, the lessons they've learned, and tips for carving out a successful and meaningful career in content. I'm your host, John Gitlin, and today we've got Alex Brickett on our show. Alex is a co-founder and the head of sales and marketing at Omniscient Digital, a content and SEO marketing agency that helps software companies scale through content. During our interview, Alex walked me through some of the reasons that he and his team invested in podcasting, how they've improved their podcasting chops over time, and why their show, The Long Game Podcast, has been crucial in growing their agency. We also dug into AI technologies like GPT-3 and ChatGPT, where he shared how content marketers can leverage them to bolster their production process. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Alex. Alex, uh, welcome to the Content Career Show. Thank you. I am happy to be here. Nice. So, uh, Alex, you run a, a podcast that I follow and I'm a big fan of, the Long Game uh, Show. And, you know, something I'm interested in is like, how did you, first of all, you run like a bootstrapped agency and, you know, doing a, a podcast requires a lot of time and effort. Like, why did you guys decide to invest in this area to begin with? So it's actually much less time and effort than other channels that we could have used, at least at the beginning stages, because you know we looked into, should we do blogging and should we do content marketing in the traditional sense and try to rank in SEO? And you know you think about that for longer than a couple of minutes and you, you, know, you run up on this realization that the keywords you're going to go after are already written about by HubSpot and CoSchedule and all these other big brands. And for an agency, like we're we're selling something that costs a lot of money and it's for, for a very specific audience, right? It's hard to convince somebody to buy a content marketing agency if they're not already looking for a content marketing agency. So in terms of viable channels, like, you know, without building an audience already, there weren't too many that we had in front of us. So a podcast for us, it was one, it was like a selfish thing because it was, we started it during the pandemic. And uh, something I used to do quite a bit is I would just go get lunches with people or coffees with people, uh, mainly like not for the networking, but just, you know, to meet new people and to to learn new things myself. Like I, I used to do that when I was at CXL. I worked remote at HubSpot, so I didn't really have the network uh, in office that a lot of people get. So I would like have to go make my own friends in the industry. Um, and I couldn't do that all of a sudden during the pandemic. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to start Zoom zoom calling people and it was with smart people so i'm like what if we just recorded this and turned it into a podcast um the cool thing about a podcast is you're talking to subject matter experts and the content is highly repurposable so you get to borrow their audience a little bit without kind of having your own inbuilt audience so if we interviewed say dave gerhardt um we could put out the podcast as like an hour-long episode but then it's like there's so many quotes and nuggets that he says throughout the interview that we can ship those off into little audiograms, and videograms, and LinkedIn posts. And then like we tag him, he, he might share it as well. So it was a way actually like to leverage our time, like, because then I only have to put an hour of time in and we get a podcast, blog post, LinkedIn, like all the different mediums um, that we can use to potentially distribute that message. Mm. And how do you like choose your guests? So you mentioned Dave Gerhardt. Uh is it based on like audience size? Is it based on like the reputation and content? Like what was kind of the criteria that influences your guys' decision-making there? It's changed through the years. Um, when when I first started, I was nervous. <laughs> I didn't know how to do a podcast interview. Uh, we actually used to do like all three of us co-founders would interview the guest at the same time because we, we like no one wanted to take it by themselves because we were also like uh, self-conscious. And uh, eventually, like, we got more confident, but like, we would basically get our friends on or like people we knew well enough to where, you know, it wasn't going to be a total disaster. And like, we could pause and like be 
just a little bit less um uh performative um now in you know 2022 2023 the strategy has changed a lot so we'll get on like people from our icp and buying group directors of marketing vps of marketing directors of content at high scale companies um and it's not necessarily a sales call but it is a very good way to introduce ourselves to the people that we would eventually want to sell into and by doing so we actually get to learn about like their pain points what content marketing programs look at these companies that we want to sell into um and then like the people who follow them or the people in their network tend to be similar types um so it's it's a it's a probably like the audience size is smaller. Like we're not going after as many of like the big, you know, Pep Laya, Dave Gerhardt names now. Although I still want to get like them on the podcast just because they're interesting people. Um, but the the strategy has shifted primarily towards interviewing people who we might eventually sell to. Um, audience size kind of correlates with, with success in terms of podcast downloads, but it's not as big as I would have thought. Mm-hmm. And like, so you guys mentioned like at the beginning, you, you know, you, you, the three of you were a little bit nervous. Like it was a kind of your first foray into podcasting and you're doing it with people like you knew had a relationship with, so it was a bit more comfortable. Like what got you guys over the edge? Did you just, is it just like getting the reps in or do you guys like, were there specific resources that you leaned on? Like what kind of took you to the next level? So I can only answer for myself. David and Allie do this as well. Um, they well, actually, I'll, I'll throw some shade. They're a lot less diligent about this. <laughs> I Because we've talked about this. I watch game tape, basically. So I listen to every podcast we do, including the ones where it's my voice and I hate it and I'm listening back and I cringe at like this time that I like steamrolled over somebody's answer or interrupted or whatever. But I want to get better. So I'll actually like consciously like take notes and say like, oh, like you rambled during that answer or that question or like you interrupted here or oh, actually they had an answer that you should have dug into deeper, but instead you just went under the next question. So I'm very diligent about going back and listening to game tape. Um, I It's it's simply a, a function of reps. I think you're right to say that as well. It's just practicing more makes you more confident. And it just like, for me, it makes me uh, like, I know I'm probably going to mess up and I'm not going to like have a perfect interview and I know it's going to be okay anyway. You know, whereas the first couple of times, like I was so scared that I would just like fumble a word and it's like, you can just edit that. Like it doesn't actually matter, you know? Um, and finally, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, um, some in the content and the the marketing space, but a lot more general podcasts. Like I listen to a lot of comedians. I listen to just things that interest me. You know, I think Tim Ferriss is a master of his craft um, and everybody's got their own style. So I'm not like pulling directly from those people and trying to copy them. But if they have an interesting way to frame a question or like Tim, for instance, I, I think he's very meticulous about like the order in which he asks questions. Like he'll often ask like, either like heaters right away, you know, so it like jars somebody or like real soft ones if it seems like a shyer guest. So I'll learn little lessons from from other people as well. That's really cool. And you mentioned, so we've talked about this before, but like you mentioned that you're, you're actually going to double down on podcasting next year. What was kind of the thought process there? Like you basically saw it working and you just kind of want to amplify the benefits you've seen or you got like, yeah, maybe if you can walk me through kind of what you guys were thinking there. Yeah, totally. Well, that's something that like, generally speaking, we're trying to do is is narrow the focus. So because I think like all of us internally are naturally like very shiny object oriented, and think we could just do it all. Um, but we've seen podcasts work, direct response, we've, we've had a couple podcast guests reach out actually, like without us prompting and say like, hey, we'd love to work together. Like, do you work with companies like ours? And, and we've actually signed a couple deals that way. So in that sense, if we just double the pace and like we double the amount of clients that we can get from the podcast, it's going to pay for itself. But then also like the audience building, it's a very intimate medium. It's one of those things where like, even if somebody doesn't initially find us via the podcast, 
I've had so many people on sales calls say, yeah, I listened to your kitchen side episodes, which it's like these, um, just the founders kind of talking about like different ideas or strategies or frameworks. It's kind of like an internal like table room discussion. And what people say is like, it's like listening to those discussions. It seems like you guys are in the room and like on our team. And I know what it's like to work with you. So it's unlike a blog post in that way. It's, it's a much more intimate thing if you listen week over week. Um, so I, I guess, you know, just if we can get those table stakes, if we can just win on those two accounts, then all the rest is upside. Like whether that's like increased podcast downloads or the, whether we can repurpose that to like further mediums and like generate more interest on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but even if we just double the pace there and have twice the conversations that we're currently having with people in our ICP, I think it's it's worth it. Yeah, totally. And the kitchen side podcasts are actually my favorite. Oh, those are always like super informative. No yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love those. Um, so something else I wanted to ask, um, you know, do you think that like podcasting will become just part of the function of a content team? Or do you like, do you think there there will be like a separate branch of, because I feel like podcasting is getting a bit of momentum in, in B2B companies um, outside of like HubSpot and Intercom. So do you see that like being adopted within the content function or do you see that kind of gaining momentum maybe through outsourcing or how do you see that happening? Yeah, it's, it's, let me see if I can like cogently describe this. Cause I do have some thoughts on this because one thing I've seen recently on LinkedIn and Twitter and in a couple of Facebook kind of marketing groups that I'm in is people talking about their 2023 strategy. And it's very similar to this. I call it decentralized content marketing. Um, it, it's essentially what I just described where you have a conversation with the subject matter expert, you record it, that turns into a podcast, but the recording is then sprinkled throughout blog posts. Maybe it's like one solid blog post you write from that. Maybe it's like shared among like multiple team members on LinkedIn in different formats. Maybe it's audio videograms, but essentially you like have one seed piece of content with somebody in-house or an expert externally. And that turns into this whole kind of like decentralized content approach through multiple mediums. So I've seen like five or 10 of these posts that say, you know, B2B companies are looking into this play. So I definitely think it's going to be a rising trend where I think it could fall short is like, if you look at content market, the traditional content marketing playbook of somebody like HubSpot, where you have maybe a team of writers, somebody leading the content marketing efforts, and it's all centralized on the blog. I think you can, I mean, there's, there's, there's talent that's hard to replace, but it's not dependent on any one single voice in the way that like a podcast is. That's something that I actually worry about. It's like, if, if I'm going to keep doing the podcast, like it's going to get more and more tied to me doing it, <laughs> you know, like, whereas like, I think if you are doing an SEO driven playbook, you, you can functionally use a tool like ClearScope. You can, you can approximate the value of somebody like myself. Like, I think I can write a pretty good blog post, but it's not like 10 X better, or like 10 X different than anybody else could write. Whereas like a podcast, I, I do feel like you listen to, I don't know, like Dave's podcast, Dave Gerhardt's podcast or Pep's podcast for that voice. And it would be really hard to replace that person. So I think that's that's where the downside might come in. And I also think, you know, it's it's for very specific types of companies. Like if you're a product-led growth company that needs kind of tons and tons of, of uh, product users to make the model work, I don't know. I mean, podcasts are hard in terms of like their actual reach in the B2B in the marketing space. Unless it's yeah. like a consumer sensationalist, interesting podcast, you know, like the Tim Ferriss type, like, you know, it's not going to see the same numbers that, that you get with paid media or, or SEO or something like that. Yeah. Do you guys uh, see yourselves eventually outsourcing podcasting services in any capacity? Like, cause clearly it's working for you guys. 
you know, I don't know if you can like lend your voice to the other people's podcasts, but like, do you see that at all? Like entering kind of your business model? Yeah, I do think there's a playbook there. Um, what we're currently doing is we're doing everything except for the podcast production. That's something that we haven't figured out a way to, I guess, like outsource to ourselves in like a way it's it's like we haven't come up with a playbook for that piece of it, but we're doing the repurposing part. So say you've got a podcast, say like this podcast, right? If you didn't have the resources to pull that into multiple different mediums, like a blog post, LinkedIn, like all the audio videograms and turn that into copy that's actually going to generate traction on those channels, that's something that we're we're engaging in uh, on a service basis now. I do think eventually there could be a playbook. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be like the Gimlet Media or something like that, where we can come in and produce like these custom bespoke, amazing, you know, entertaining podcasts. But I do think if you're like the average B2B company and you want to use it as like a lead generation or like sales play, like we could train a salesperson to like run essentially like customer interviews, you know, in 30 to 60 minutes and turn those into podcasts. And also it's like a sales play. Mm -hmm. This is still speculative though. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it definitely be like a consultant in some way. You have definitely like the, the success metrics to prove it. Um, but switching gears. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain on chat GPT. It's like obviously all the rage and everybody's talking about it. I think one anxiety that always kind of comes back to writers, including myself is like, to what extent is, you know, AI, chat GPT, and like the future iterations, like going to replace what we do? Um, and are people just going to start to use it instead of Google? Like, is that going to be like, they just chat their questions, concerns, if they want information on anything, they just use chat GPT or whatever AI tool instead of making the Google searches and finding, you know, branded content. So I guess my question to you is like, are you as a, you know, as one of a co-owner of your agency, are you worried at all about about what's happening there? Or how do you kind of see chat GPT fitting in within the content uh, ecosystem? In one sense, I'm worried because I think the the thing with artificial intelligence is the rapid pace at which it improves based on the models it's already built on. So we'll see where it goes in the future. As it stands today, I'm not worried because I've been thinking about artificial intelligence and not just AI, but like like if you hearken back like a year ago, uh, maybe as Jasper was just launching, like it wasn't like this, this um, or OpenAI's GPT-3 was just kind of like coming out. I still thought about like what things are like low barrier to entries and what things are actually scarce and valuable in content. So I'm like, all right, if every content marketer has access to, let's say, Ahrefs and Surfer or ClearScope, then all the content's going to look similar within, you know, 10 to 20% margins. Like it might be 10% better, 10% worse. But like if everybody has access to the same tools, you know, effectively it like creates this messy, mediocre middle. And if that's the case, then what do you do to stand out? And it's like, well, you have a point of view, you have a tone of voice, you have subject matter expertise that's hard to replicate, or you have experience that you can write about that nobody else can replicate. You can do original research. You can basically do things that are hard for people to compete with. And I think the same thing is true with artificial intelligence. It's just like, there's this whole other layer that's being broken down in the barrier to entry of writing like good enough content it's like, like low level freelancers. Like that's, I would be worried about my job if I was like doing, you know, really like C plus type blog posts. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think for good content marketers, ones that act journalistically, ones that have unique subject matter experience, focus on a specific niche. I think if you keep doubling down on, on those things that AI cannot do, that's going to be maybe even more valuable nowadays, mm -hmm. but they are getting pretty good. I will say like for your basic, like SEO, you know, easy generic type blog post. Um, but I don't think that was like high value content anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. think like, like most of the content written on those, those types of topics was like 
can I swear? Like, I was say, yeah. Okay. Like, holy shit, this is the most amazing blog post in the world. Like, you, you didn't think that when you would read like most of those basic blog posts anyway. Yeah, it's true. But on like the Google front, right? Like if people start to really adopt this thing, they start to ask it everything and anything, and they start to maybe use it as their source of information. I mean, do you envision a world where this at least takes some of the market share from like a search engine like Google or, or how do you kind of see the two fitting in with each other? I can see that, but I, I just think like, have you used uh, ChatGPT? I've played around with it a bit. I feel like it's pretty good, but like one, it gives you quite generic answers and like it, it speaks very confidently about those. But two, uh, like I've had, I've had some times where it's actually pretty accurate. Like if I ask about like specific things in the content niche, but I've also asked things where it, like I know for a fact that it's giving me the wrong information and like Google certainly gives bad information sometimes, but I feel like through the mechanisms of like, like internal linking and external linking and like all of the algorithmic things they've built up over the years, like you can trust it a little bit more. Yeah. Whereas like Chad GPT right now, like you don't know where it's pulling that information from. So I think, I mean, I hope like right now, I hope people don't just go and like trust it if they're like Googling like health information. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now who knows in the future, like if it does get incredibly good and like we can see like some behind the scenes or like accuracy prediction score or something like that, like, it is kind of a better user experience than Google in a lot of cases. Cause you go on Google and like, if you're a marketer, like, like ourselves, like you kind of see like how the sausage is made and you're like, like any health related term, like I was saying, you see WebMD and like Healthline and you're like, well, these aren't the best sources of information. They're just the best domains. And like, they're the best at SEO <laughs> right? and they're like pretty good. So I do think like in most or in many cases, the Google search experience is not great, which is also mm -hmm. why you see a lot of people um, appending their search with like Reddit or something like that. Now, you know, it'll yeah. be like, like content marketing software, Reddit or something, because nobody or not nobody, but a lot of people are not trusting Google search results as is. Yeah, it's true. Um, but they'll have okay. to solve that trust and veracity problem, I think. Mm -hmm. And do you think there are ways for like content marketers to like leverage? Like, I don't know if you already use it, uh, like your writers use it at, at Omniscient, but like, as, do you think there's ways for writers to use it effectively to like complement their efforts? Or how do you see that us using it effectively at this point? Yeah, we, we don't at Omniscient yet. Uh, I do on my personal blog. Uh, I've used Jasper for quite a while. It took a long time to make it click for me. Like at first I was like, oh, this is like not great content quality. And I had to spend more time editing it anyway. But it's it's like any other tool and that you kind of have to learn how to, how to it's like a learning curve. Um, the inputs and the commands that you give it, like that totally affects the output. It's It's not like a magic button you can just click. So specifically this month, like the team at Omniscient is doing this thing called Project 100. I think I told you about this. Yeah. We're, we're trying to write 100 blog posts this month. We just figure like with the recession and like things slowing down this month in December, it's usually a slow season for agencies anyway. Like let's have a big amp it up project that we can look forward to. It's probably scary, probably impossible, but like a big number that we can just try to aim towards. So we're trying to write 100 blog posts and to do that effectively, like you, you kind of need to augment yourself with some tools or freelance writers, which, you know, that's budget constraints uh, are there. Um, so for myself, I'm trying to write like 30 articles and I'm using Jasper or, you know, other, I'm checking out ChatGPT and other tools as well. And I use it personally to like get rid of writer's block. So like the topics we're writing about are pretty SEO driven. They're not like um, incredibly, incredibly complex. Although some like I have unique viewpoints on a lot of like the content marketing analytics ones. But let's say, for example, I have a piece on like, um, how to use Haro is one of them. Uh, so it's a pretty formulaic, straightforward thing. 
So what I'll do uh, is I'll go to phrase.io, try to come up with like a, a outline. So they'll basically reverse engineer the SERPs and like give you a bunch of H2 and H1 suggestions. And I'll sprinkle that in with my own knowledge of the subject. So I won't just take that verbatim. And I'll build like a little outline and then I'll use Jasper to start filling in the details. Um, so they have two templates, like they have a template called one shot blog post. And then they have their free form editor where you can just like give it commands. And I'll try to like do as much content as I can with, with the AI tools. And sometimes it's okay. And like, I'll leave it and maybe just like clean up the voice and make it like sound more like myself. And sometimes it's bad, but even when it's bad, it gives me something to angle against, you know, it's like podcast tip. Uh, if somebody's not like giving great responses, you can throw out like a silly opinion that you don't even agree with because people cannot resist, but correct you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when, when AI gives me like bad content, I'm like, that's not the answer, you know, and it'll like actually like provoke me to like start writing. But the important part is it's like, it's not writing 80% of the blog post for me, but it's getting me 10 to 15%, 20% sometimes. And it starts the process. So then I can like just finish the piece on my own and I'm like already in the mix. Nice. As opposed to facing that blank page, which is terrifying. Yeah. And how is how is that 30 uh, blog post initiative going for you? Um, it's December 20th. I, I have written 16. That's okay. That's impressive. Yeah. So how I have much, like half left to go. How much? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, it's, that's nuts. And how much faster do you feel like it's making you? Like based on like your the average time it takes you to write something versus, yeah, using AI. It's hard to say because I, I don't think the blog posts that I'm writing are like, like my best work of all time. So like, that's also speeding things up. Um, the topics that I'm choosing are very SEO driven. And normally like my approach to content is to like pick something that I'm deeply curious or have a lot of experience in and write like kind of the best in the world piece on that. But the, the goal here is really to just create content that ranks, that's good, that has my opinion in it, but it's not going to be like blow your mind. Uh, so I think like just reducing the bar for quality is going to save time. Uh, I generally write pretty fast anyway, as long as I'm in the flow. Uh, so as soon as I break past that point of inertia, that writer's block, like, I feel like I'm just, I'm good. And then editing takes me a long time, but I would say it's probably, I would say it's like speeding me up by at least 50%. I don't know about two X, but like somewhere in that vicinity. That's a lot. I mean, it's still significant. Cause you can just start so many pieces. You can just like get content on the paper. And I think that, that usually it's hard to like quantify because I feel like usually at that stage, it's like. I don't consider myself writing yet, but I'm like procrastinating it. You know, it's like, I might be doing a little research and probably a little too much research. Mm -hmm. So it certainly like takes, takes that point down the, the, the time between like when I choose the topic and when I lay down the first words. Yeah. Do you think, so you mentioned like earlier, like niching down, like really honing your craft or like, like that's kind of how you adjust to like AI. And then it sounds like maybe like learning how to use it so you can get much faster at producing content. It, would you say that's like becoming like an imperative for content marketers or is it still kind of in an experimental phase where people should just play around with it, maybe understand how it works? Like how much effort should content marketers be putting towards like learning and understanding how to use these tools? I think it's always worth checking them out, especially if there's a lot of fear around it taking your job or like replacing mm -hmm. you. Like I would definitely... Anytime you feel fear, you should probably like lean in towards it because it's telling you something, you know, it's giving you information. That's just like general life advice that I try to follow. Um, I'm not wearing my wristband. I usually have this wristband on that says faith, not fear. Um, yeah. If there's any sort of like nervousness or apprehension or cynicism, if you're like 
talking smack on the tools, like that's totally information that's telling you to check it out. And I think once you check it out, you're going to realize that it's in its current form, it's not going to replace you. But it'll also tell you what things it can help you with, uh, which isn't everything, but like maybe repurposing content. Maybe that's something that's pretty formulaic, takes a lot of your time. You got a long form blog post or a podcast transcript. Maybe you could write a Jasper command or I keep hawking Jasper, but like, you know, that's the tool I use most, but like you could write a little formula that could chip it off into like six LinkedIn posts. Right. And that's not replacing you. Like you're still coming up with the ideas and you can figure out like which things are uniquely you and you can do and which things that can be done and sped up by the tools. Well, that makes sense. Are there other like skills, like areas of focus that you think content marketers should be putting uh, putting their focus on like is it like is it still kind of doubling down on like SEO is it still is it maybe learning how to do run a podcast is it like getting into like short form videos like what are some things that you think content marketers should be putting more of their attention towards I think it really depends like where you're working and what your goals are but one thing that I talk about a lot is content marketers should get much better at analytics. Mm. I think like content marketers provide so much value to most businesses. Like in most content programs, you're actually providing probably a lot more ROI than you realize. But like, if you look at like the pay, like people who go into like paid acquisition, they tend to come from quant backgrounds. Like a lot come from finance or like, like the, the paid acquisition field is heavily quantitatively focused. And there's all these tools built for attribution and like analytics just for paid marketers demand gen marketers, but content marketers are often like left off in this like wilderness where they're just like writing and they're divorced from the actual ROI or like the leverage that content gives and not just in search, not just last click, but there's multiple ways to attribute that value. So I think if you can get more numerate, um, that's going to help you parlay the business case to get more resources to do the more creative things that you want to do, like podcasts, like, you know, video, like anything that has like kind of a non-direct or non-obvious, uh, uh, ROI equation, but like first show the ROI that you're actually giving. Cause most content marketers are like producing a lot more ROI than they think. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates with me. Um, cool. Well, Alex, I think we're about time, but you know, thanks for being on the show. It's, it's been awesome talking to you. Yeah, this is super fun. Thank you. I want to thank Alex for coming on and sharing his experiences and wisdom. I hope the conversation was helpful, and if it was, it would mean a lot if you subscribed and gave us a review on whatever app you're listening to this on. I'll talk to you soon.